Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline is your one-stop shop for Game 6s and Game 7s all throughout the hockey and basketball playoffs here this weekend. Use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description to this episode to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome welcome in everybody it is may 13th according to my count it may not be that according to your count but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be a listening. We have got Chris Cluey, former Minnesota Vikings punter and guy whose NFL career was cut short by about five years because he was an advocate for gay marriage back in the early 2010s. Chris Cluey is joining us here on the show today. We love Chris, appreciate all the time and energy that Chris gives us. Every few months he joins the show. He's really doing this out of the goodness of his heart, so I appreciate it, and I enjoy the conversations we get to have with Chris, and it's really cool to have former NFL players join us on this here wacky podcast. So we've got some stories from his days with the Minnesota Vikings. We got Adrian Peterson stories. We talk about healthcare. We talk about education in America. We talk about players throwing up. We got all kinds of fun stuff here today on the podcast, and Chris is the absolute best. Follow his Twitter with the link in the description to this episode. I follow it. You should follow it too. That's the best plug I can give for our friend Chris Cluey. Buy his book also. He's a big gamer guy. I don't know shit about gaming, but he's a big gamer guy. You should buy the book that he wrote about gaming. Anyways, we've got a fun show coming at you with former Minnesota Vikings punter and friend of the show, Chris Cluey. Hello, hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I got you. All right, cool. I like the the setup this time. Instead of the the cigar lounge couch, you've got the the bed in the background. <laughs> it's very yep. fun. Like to vary it up. <laughs> like to vary it up a little bit. How are you doing? Good. Can't complain. Good to hear. Good to hear. Anything uh anything really interesting happen in your life? No, yeah, not really. Um I had shoulder surgery. I had a torn rotator cuff, but other than that, not much. Is that just a, a regular life injury or a post football, like your, your arm doesn't work as well as it used to injury? Um, I'm not entirely sure because I, I uh, play a lot of soccer and um, mm-hmm. I know I've banged it around a couple times, but I never felt like anything pop. And one morning I just woke up 
like I went to sleep the night before I was fine. Woke up the next morning. I'm like, my shoulder is messed up. <laughs> I need okay, to go see I a doctor. So I, I think there might've been like an existing injury that eventually got exacerbated enough to where it, it finally like completely tore. But yeah, it was, it was definitely a, uh, okay, this, this is not the way my shoulder should be feeling. <laughs> no, that answered my question. Cause if it was something that was like, your shoulder is fine and then you did something and now it's torn. It's like, okay, that's like a one-time thing that happened. But if this is like a, a one day you wake up and it's like, oh my gosh, my shoulder is in chronic pain. Then yeah, that, that does yeah. start to, to make it a little more sense. Right. Hooray growing old. Yeah. Wait, you're, are you 40 now? Or- yes. I turned 40, uh, last December. Okay. Because I was going to say, you you could pass as like someone in their mid twenties at the same time, but I just, in my mind, I was doing the calculation on like your NFL career. I was like, probably 40, maybe. Yeah. And it feels weird because I'm like 40 is old. Like I don't, I don't want to be old. (laughs) (laughs) 40 to 40 is not old. That's only twice my age. It's not that, not (laughs) that old. (laughs) Uh, it's not terrible though. Well, since we're on the football topic, I had a question that I was going to ask you like a, a month ago or two months ago or whenever the last time we talked was, and I forgot to ask it, which was, do you have any fun stories of, of teammates with an eating situation? Like someone eating a lot of food or eating a weird type of food or something like that from mm-hmm. your NFL days? Uh, I, yeah, I have uh, one. It was um, Adrian Peterson. Right. So, you know, guy has like the body of a Greek God. I mean, just absolutely sculpted muscle. And, um, there <laughs> before every game, like we would have, um, the night before we'd be at the, the team hotel and we'd have what was called snack. Now snack was like a full on buffet line of like pizza, chicken breast, pasta, like salad bar. It, it, it was a meal. And then there was the dessert section, which was, you know, various cakes and ice cream and toppings and stuff. And he would just absolutely load up. Uh, like an entire bowl full of like ice cream with cookies on top with hot fudge and whipped cream. <laughs> I mean, to look at it, you'd be like, this guy should weigh like 400 pounds. <laughs> but he, he's working out, out so day. much that he's put, he's burning off the weight. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he, he would just burn it all the next day during the game. And um, yeah, there was, there was one time in the, uh, in the training room when um, he shows up from the cafeteria upstairs and he has one of those like big mixing bowls, right? Like the, <laughs> like the big, big mixing bowls. And it's, completely filled with i think it was like captain crunch <laughs> and he's just eating this giant bowl of cereal so it's like that meme with ezekiel elliott like feeding cereal into his mouth except it's with a mixing bowl <laughs> right yeah like like seriously this is not a normal size bowl <laughs> it's like Jesus five or six Christ. times the size of one <laughs> That's so, insane. Yeah. So, so I didn't realize that the whole buffet thing was the night before was this supposed to be like a carb load the night before yeah. a game kind of idea yeah, yeah. Ba- basically, it's because um, generally the way our travel worked out is like you had to be at the hotel by like four. I think it's like four or five. Um, if we were traveling to an away game, you know, obviously we're on the plane, so we're going to be there no matter what. Um, but for home games, it's like, okay, you need to be at the hotel by four or five. Um, and then it would be, you'd have like an hour or two before the first meetings. And so generally guys would like, they'd get a dinner with either people they knew from the other team or, you know, if they just wanted to like have something you know, in the town they were at. And then we'd have our meetings. And then after the meetings, we would have snack, which was full on. Like I treated that as my dinner. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is where, you know, I'm, I'm going to like eat the food that I need to eat for the next day. And so for me, it was always the same. It's always, um, I'd have a chicken breast with barbecue sauce, uh, pasta with marinara, like Parmesan cheese on top. And then, um, like a small bowl of, uh, chocolate ice cream with hot fudge. 
And so like, and, and again, it was, it was almost like a routine, right. Where I knew, okay, this is going to be my meal. And it was good. Like every time it was good. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't like I got bored, but yeah, if you wanted, like they would have pizza, sometimes they'd have like regional specialties where like, if we we're in like uh, Kansas city, you know, there might be some barbecue or something like that. So yeah, it was, I, I miss snack. Snack was nice. <laughs> snack was nice. Like getting to, to every week, just everyone's gathering around, just shoving like carbs into their face right before a yep. football game. <laughs> Yep. So, so even for home games, would you guys stay in a hotel the night before a game? Yep. Yeah, it would be because, because the team wants, you know, they want to keep an eye on you. And then they also want to make sure that like, okay, everyone's where they're supposed to be. And then we can go over any last minute, like changes in the game plan. And um, head coach has to give, you know, his speech to the team. Like, Hey, here's what we're focusing on. Like, here's what I want you guys to do. Um, Because game day, it's literally you wake up, like you eat, and then um, for uh, for a one o'clock game, uh, they would have a bus going to the stadium at uh, one would leave at nine and then one would leave at 10. Um, and then for obviously, like if it's four o'clock, you back it up three hours. But um, like game day itself, there's there's no meetings or anything. It's just you get ready. However, you get ready You show up at the stadium and like you play the game. Yeah, I, I kind of assume that'd be the case just because like, I mean, sometimes you, you played Minnesota for your career. So like sometime they're they're central time zone, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. So like, I, th- like a game might be starting at like 12 o'clock. And so like, you don't really have a ton of time to do preparation before the game. Like at a certain point right. you're in that mindset, maybe the coaches are adjusting something, but like as players, there's not much you can change at nine o'clock in the morning. Right. Exactly. Well, and then the other thing too, is like, you know, just the logistics of it, like you got to wake up, you got to get breakfast in you and not, you know, close enough to the game where you're going to be throwing up and then warm up itself is usually like two hours. So that's, you know, that's why the 10 o'clock bus was like the latest bus to get to the stadium. Cause that, that at least gives you like an hour buffer between, you know, getting there and, and getting into warm up. So were there ever situations with like people eating on the sidelines as like a pick me up during games or was it like always like little small things like to, to pick up energy or something? Uh, so, so the only eating on the sideline I ever saw was during preseason. <laughs> it would be from, from uh, the vets who knew they were already on the team, like generally during like week four, uh, preseason week four when it's like the vets maybe played the first series and that's it like because the the last preseason games really to see okay who are your your bubble players like you know who's going to win these last positions and so yeah there, there were a couple times where you know you see guys like sneaking a hot dog down from the stands <laughs> oh i i was just thinking even like um like even like a bar or something like that because because i forgot what basketball player it was during the playoffs they're saying like they went into the locker room and they just like ate a meal at halftime Jeez. and like that was their like pick me up because they just didn't have i think it was like a, a ramadan thing but I, I can't remember exactly okay. what it was but it was that whole idea of like you're processing food really quickly and I, I i guess it makes more sense for like a sport like that where you're like running like nine miles in total instead of like football where it's like a lot of quick spurt type of stuff so yeah i, I well, guess that so would make more sense there they they would have stuff for like so during halftime we would have stuff and as in the locker room, they'd have those Gatorade energy bars. Um, if we're playing a outdoors at Green Bay or Chicago or something like that, they'd have um, hot chocolate and uh, like warmed up chicken broth. So you get something warm inside you. Um, but the, the big thing is like, you don't want to eat a food during halftime because then when you go out to run for the second half, <laughs> oh, of course, you know, yeah. gut bomb just. That's <laughs> how one- you get that, that video of that one guy who threw up on the sideline. Forgot how long ago that yeah. was. Yeah, that's, I've, I've seen lots of guys throw up uh, from from just running. Um, gotcha. Okay, I I didn't think that my one question would devolve this far, and now I'm interested. Do you have good throw up stories? 
Um, I, <laughs> I had one in, uh, one in college where it was the first spring practice back. Um, this was when I was at UCLA. We had a wide receiver who like never really took his conditioning that seriously. And, um, so the, the first spring practice back and like these practices weren't really like practices, more like weightlifting and running and stuff. So we, we go through the warm up. We start our first series of, I think it was like shuttles. And like he finishes the first series of shuttles and immediately just runs over to the trash can and starts throwing up inside. Him. It's like, <laughs> like I didn't really take my running that seriously, but I wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, where, of course. I show up and instantly just be like, nope, got to puke. <laughs> Nope, just not ready for it after three months of being off off of the the running program. It's just game yeah, exactly. over. Yeah, and then and then there's there's been guys that like I've seen guys throw up. At, actually, there was one my um my long snapper um Colin Leffler. He had um is either a case of food poisoning or like he got a really nasty stomach bug. And so um after every snap, so so we'd go out on the field. He'd snap the ball. I'd kick it. You know, he'd run down in coverage. He'd come off to the sideline and immediately go straight to the trash can and start puking. <laughs> like, like his face was as pale as a ghost the entire game. <laughs> like the training staff is just trying to get as many fluids into him as possible. <laughs> you, you've got like the IV going and then you have to get it going in like both arms at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, was, it did not look very fun. <laughs> No, I, I imagine not. But I, I was just taken aback a bit when you're like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of throw up stories. I was like, I mean, I guess like I, I get the idea of like you're pushing your body to your limits at some point. I'm like a, mm-hmm. a lot of throw up stories. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, it's it, generally during training camp, like at least one guy will throw up during the first couple practices. It's uh, it, and then part of that was also um, our training camp was at Mankato, which uh, is pretty hot during the fall. Um, but also part of it is just like, Usually it's your first time in pads, you know, for like five or six months. And it's your first time live hitting in five or six months and like added to the pressure of the situation of, okay, especially if you're a new guy, like, am I going to make it through training camp? And yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty potent combination. Yeah. Did you guys ever have like elevation like situations? Cause I assume like at it, it, UCLA, I've been there before. It's not like elevation to like mess with your mind, but, or brain and like oxygen mm-hmm. and things like that. But were there like weird elevation stuff ever? No, not for us. Um, I played, we, we played at Colorado and Colorado state, I think, uh, when I was in college and then, um, played the Broncos when I was in the NFL and never, never had any, any elevation issues. Like we didn't go out early to acclimate or anything like that. Um, for us really during training camp, it was, uh, it was heat issues, uh, heat and hydration. Um, cause the Vikings had had that incident with, uh, Corey Stringer, the offensive tackle who passed away from, um, uh, heat exhaustion. And so like the training staff were really on top of, okay, you need to be weighing in and weighing out of every practice so we can see how much water you've lost. And then you need to make up that water weight before you start the next practice. Is that more of a standard thing in the NFL? Do you know anything about that now? Cause I I'd never heard anything like that. Yeah, it's pretty standard now for teams to wear, um, like, especially during, during fall training camp, um, they'll, what they'll do is, uh, you'll weigh in, uh, as you head out to practice and then you'll weigh in as you come off the field and essentially whatever weight you lose is water weight that you've lost from practice. And so you need to make, like, you need to drink enough to get back to your weight 
by the time the the afternoon practice happens. Otherwise, like they'll they'll start getting on you like, hey, you need to make up this water weight. Like, cause because the thing is, is that dehydration, like it affects you mentally, it makes you more liable to cramp, it makes you more liable to tear muscles. And so, you know, just, just from a pure performance standpoint, like you're, you're talking about multi-million dollar investments you know, out on the field. It's like, they're, they're from a business standpoint, they're like, we need to make sure these guys stay healthy because mm-hmm. otherwise you know, we just waste a bunch of money. Yeah. I, I think of that, like, as a concern with like high school and college players, especially, um, I forgot the name of the Maryland player who died from, from basically heat stroke, uh, a, a few right. years ago. Um, I think it's Jordan McNair. I, I can't remember exactly, but it, yeah, it played. I think so. It, yeah. Well, I was going to say like, I, um, coaching freshman football, like in terms of the coaching classes we're required to take, um, water, like heat exhaustion and, and uh, proper water management is a, is like a big one now that I remember they didn't have that when I was a kid, like going, going through high school football, it was, you know, you got a water break when you got a water break, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta learn how to tough it out. Right. You know, it's, you, it's being thirsty is a sign of weakness. And now we're like, okay, yeah, no, that's not a sign of weakness. Like you, you need to make sure guys have enough water, especially the bigger guys like the O lineman and D lineman, because they're, you know, they're pushing their bodies really hard and they have like, they're putting a lot of stress on their heart and, you know, on the rest of their body. And like, if they don't have enough water in their system, well, the system's going to f- shut down. The thing that always concerned me, I guess, was like, because I mean, college programs are less under-resourced than they used to be. But like, when you think of it in the context of the NFL, I think of college programs as like under-resourced to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So like in that way, I was always like feeling nervous about that because you don't have someone who's like, there's no incentive structure to really keep the players healthy other than like, if something really bad happens, you're liable. And Mm -hmm. so I guess that's good to hear that like science has improved. And so even in these situations, it's just more of a standard when like you, you become a coach in the first place. Yeah. It's well, and and I think unfortunately the, the rash of heat exhaustion related deaths that happened, you know, both in the pros in college and in high school, like really, really helped people understand why this is an issue, um, particularly at the high school level. Right. Because like there's, you know, generally most high school programs, especially in areas that aren't aren't as prosperous, you know, it's just, okay, here's a guy who won state 20 years ago. Like he's, he's our head football coach. (laughs) Like, does he know proper nutrition? Does he know proper strength and conditioning? Does he know proper hydration? Who knows? (laughs) Probably not. This is, this is slowly happening in college teams too, where I'm like, who's the coach of this college team, former linebacker, all, all American now coaching the college team 20 years later. Cause that's how the pipeline works. Yeah. And, and so that, that's one of the things where like now it's expected that you're supposed to know this stuff. Like it's because they're, they're your athletes. You have to pay attention to them. Like you, you need to keep them safe on the field. I guess in my mind, I'd always thought of it like being bad and also getting better. Like both of those things can coexist at the same time. Like it's, it's much better than it used to be. And the concerns right. are still, still like valid. <laughs> oh yeah. No, especially like in the deep South, like there's, there's tons of programs there that are just like, and, and I mean, and that's such a dangerous region to begin with in terms of like high humidity, high heat, especially in the summer and fall that like that, that should be our front line of, okay, we need to make sure hydration education is like a number one priority. Um, but yeah, there, there are definitely still programs that, that just don't care, which is unfortunate. I have a feeling I know what your opinions on the the AC, the NCAA and like at um, the the way that players are compensated in the sport are, but I'll throw that out there to you. How do you feel about the the changing in the NCAA um, power structure? Shall we say over the past yeah. five years? <laughs> oh, I think it's great. Players should get paid. 
Yeah. I I assumed you'd be in that camp. I just kind of wanted to float it out there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, so, so I think I actually, what I think is ridiculous is that we, we expect college players to fulfill the requirements of what is essentially a full-time job. Like it it is legit playing college football. If if you're playing at a D one college and even at some of the better, like D two colleges, like it is a full-time commitment. And if you're not getting paid for that and you're expected to go to school on top of it, like, and the majority of college athletes aren't scholarship athletes to begin with. <laughs> like that's, that's absolutely ridiculous when you, and, and then you look at the revenue that the NCAA pulls in and it's like, okay, well, all that money isn't being made because people like how the NCAA president looks <laughs> that money's being brought in because of what the athletes are doing. So 90, like 95% of these guys aren't ever going to earn a paycheck in the pros from doing this. They should be able to cash in now while they can. Yeah. And then the next step is like getting colleges to actually pay them salaries. And like, I don't know if you followed like the name, image and likeness stuff that that's going on right now, but like mm-hmm. what it's turning into is like boosters are now competing between giving money to the players directly or through like third party agents and all that stuff and the schools. And so now mm-hmm. it's good. It might create a situation where the, the athletic departments of schools are in direct competition with the athletes in terms of like resources. And so I find that interesting because mm-hmm. it's creating a really weird path of like, is this incentive structure going to be like the colleges turn against their athletes instead of like they're supposed to support them in this environment. And all of a sudden, once they start competing for resources that it's, I find this so interesting, like how this is all going to change eventually culminating in colleges are going to pay salaries to the players. Right. It's well, and, and, and the thing is, is that from like, from a, game design standpoint because basically this this is a game whose rules like people are still figuring out um from a design standpoint the the way you fix this problem is you don't require a, a football player to be both a football player and a student at the same time what you do is you say okay we have a football team we hire these people to play on our football team and for certain uh, x amount of them in order to further incentivize them once they're done playing now they can go to school here for free for four years, five years, whatever it happens to be. Like that's that that's how you get around the whole, oh, you know, but they're supposed to be student athletes. No, they should not be student athletes. They should, if they're gonna be athletes, they need to be athletes. If they're gonna be students, they need to be students. Like you can't you can't do both. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it, just it's not the way current sports works. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's the problem is like something has to cave somewhere. And when push comes to shove, the more revenue generating thing is the sport. And so the academics are going to cave as a result of that. And oh, like, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I can't remember if, if I had gone to my football coach and said, you know what, I need to miss practice today because I have a test. They'd be like, well, no, just reschedule the test. Like, go, go talk to the professor, you know, reschedule it. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, clearly one of these things has priority. <laughs> it's uh-huh. not the, the, the academic side of things. And this is at UCLA, mind you, like this is, right, yeah, which, which is an academic school. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, and like you talk about schools like freaking like Clemson or Alabama or <laughs> Tennessee. Or where a larger like, percentage of their revenue as a university is tied to athletics, like a larger percentage of school revenue is tied to athletics. Right. Yeah. And, and that's like, the thing is that like, it's, it, it's unfortunate that our 
what is supposed to be our education system, our higher education system has now become more of a profit earning center as opposed to an actual education system. And, you know, you, you just, you, you have these schools chasing money and like they, a lot of them already have a lot of money. Like, like they're, they're not in any danger of running out of their endowments, but they feel like, okay, we just in case we need to get more, we need to get more, we need to get more. And if athletics brings in the money, that's what they're going to follow. How do you think of that as like a bubble that's like going to burst in the future? Cause like the student loan, like structure that's been created seems like it's, it, it seems like it's so far off from actually being corrected that it, it feels like eventually it's going to take like a massive defaulting of student loans to like create like actual buzz and like an economic impact like that. So how do you think of that? Like in terms of student loan debt in America, or like as one of the things that probably should be paid for and isn't really paid for in a, in a system that works for the people getting education. Yeah, no, well, it's, it's so there, there's a couple things in America that should be publicly financed. Like it should, it should be a public good available to all. Um, the internet's one of them. Um, education is one of them. Housing is one of them. Um, food is one of them. And the thing is, is if you tax the billionaires, then you, you make up a lot of that money. And if you tax corporations, you make up the rest of that money. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, like, it's not that there isn't enough to go around. It's that the income is divided so unequally that a very few amount of people have a whole lot of the stuff. And then everyone else is left to fight over the scraps. And I mean, it's it like, historically that has happened time and time and time again. And, you know, like it's never sustainable. There's never been a situation <laughs> where having all the resources in the hands of the few has led to like a thousand years of peace and prosperity. <laughs> it no, just it has not. No. And this is especially at a time as the entire global market is shifting to the East away from the West. And this is a transition right. <laughs> that's going to happen over the next 30 years. Like it is inevitable at this point. How are you going yep. to respond if you're one of these countries, specifically America? Right. Exactly. Like, in, like no superpower stays a superpower forever. And so the, the, the thing that our politicians should be doing if they were farsighted, which they're not doing because they're very nearsighted, they're, they're worried about the next election cycle, is that they should be thinking about, okay, like if our empire is going to wane at some point, which it will, like it, it happened to Great Britain, right? It happened to Rome. It, it happened to um, like the previous uh, empires in India, like the, I forget what, I forget which one it was, but like they've had some really big ones there. Yeah. You can go uh, to the Mediterranean the, or the, the African diaspora dynasties and all that right. stuff down the line. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the thing is it's human nature. Like or it's, throw it's, it to the Catholic like, church, throw it to the Catholic right? church too. Even they had a, they had a 500 year head start and even they lost. Yeah, exactly. And, and so the, the, the thing to look at is not how can we stop this from happening? It's how can we manage this in a way that does not cause un, it like, how can we minimize the suffering that our population is going to experience due to this? Because that's, that's what a foresighted leader is supposed to be doing. It's like, okay, how, how do I serve the greatest number of people that I am tasked with serving? And um, as we've clearly seen, that's not, <laughs> that's not on the agenda for pretty much most governments. Um, because when you start getting into climate change and the condition of the earth itself, like it should be all hands on deck at this point. Like it should be a global emergency to be like, you know what? We're killing our planet. We should probably stop doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the great it's the biggest news story of our lifetime. And we just don't talk about it. It's pretty incredible. Right. Because it's happening in slow motion, then mm -hmm. no one cares. <laughs>
it, it takes like a map. I mean, I'd say this and I can bring up grim examples on the flip side, but like it takes a mass type of event to really pivot in, in terms of people's perceptions of, of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is you can kill 20 something children at Sandy Hook Elementary and nothing's going to change right. in terms of gun violence. Yeah, but it's like maybe it takes a larger mass I mean, event sure- than that. <laughs> Like the, the the thing is, is like when you when you look at what's already happening with climate change, like there already are those mass events. Like you have, you know, one in a hundred year storms popping up like every other year. You have mm-hmm. wildfires raging through California where we literally have like fire season now. <laughs> like it's like, okay, yeah, looks like fire season. Um and and short of Yellowstone exploding. Like, I don't know that there is a mass event, a massive enough. And not just Yellowstone exploding, Yellowstone exploding and killing thousands of people in the process. Right. Like, like, like just obliterating, you know, <laughs> a third of, of the continental U.S. Like, but, but like, again, we have those mass events, like Hurricane Katrina was a mass event. Like we, we, we have countless superstorms that are happening that like are impacting thousands and thousands of lives. And, and it's just like, nope. Still doesn't seem to have caught on. <laughs> no, you're right. Even even pictures of coral reefs disappearing altogether. That happened in like 30 years. And that's faster given the relative rate of climate change. And like even that hasn't yeah. done it. But I, yeah, that, uh, it's so interesting because we've all kind of become cynical in a certain way to it, too. Like this is they've been pounding on the fist for my or pounding on the table for my entire lifetime. And, and I guess people have kind of gotten cynical to a certain extent yeah. at this point. Well, well, I, I think the, the problem is, is that the way it's been presented, because I know this is how it was presented when I was a kid, is that it's your, like, here, here's your personal responsibility, what you can do to fix this. But the problem is, is that this isn't a personal responsibility problem. It's a systemic problem. It's the fact that we have corporations that are just throwing carbon into the atmosphere at an outrageous rate that the fossil fuel industry continues to lobby politicians and subsidize politicians and they're not being wound down like that's that me i can't like it doesn't matter how much i recycle my entire lifetime's worth of recycling is like a percentage of a single day of output of like british petroleum <laughs> like, like now i'll do it because every little bit helps but if we really want to see serious change on this we have to address the systemic causes of the problem and not just expect it to be a oh well you know if everyone brings out the recycling on thursday then you know we'll get this nipped in the bud it's like no no that's not gonna work <laughs> How do you, that personal responsibility argument is so effective and yet we've seen it be disproven so many times in like a variety of different issues. And so I'm interested why it still gets thrown into the lexicon all the time. Like even with new issues, is it just because it's like really effective as like a psychology thing? Like I, I don't know the answer to it, but the, the idea the of, oh, you do? Oh, yep. like it's because it's because we're a nation founded by Christians who hated themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's and that is why personal responsibility will always be the go-to. That's so that's such a I had never considered that. That's such a really good point. Oh my gosh, Um, you reminded me of something ingrained in our national psyche. Like (laughs) you reminded me of something funny that I saw on your page because I I do stand up comedy part time, and so Mm -hmm. um, I saw a tweet from you that was like, "You ever sit and think about how the Bible is just really old fanfic?" 
<laughs> and <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is a great premise. How can I build off of this? How, how can I build right. off of this joke? What What are the tags for this? <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, it's, and so the thing that that like I really started thinking about it because you know obviously with Roe v. Wade going on, right? You know, you get all the like biblical allusions and you know trying to trying to found arguments based on a, a book that may or may not be accurate. Who knows? Also, a lot of people I don't see going to church very much, <laughs> right? And and so that and so I started thinking of it from the perspective of um, as a writer, right? Like I like I have other people I try to bounce ideas off of, and you know they all have their own stuff that they write. And clearly the Bible written by multiple people, this is a writer's group. So <laughs> if this is a writer's group, why is there one guy who's writing isn't there? <laughs> like it's impossible that it was a writer's group and one person didn't write anything. Like that never happens. <laughs> and they're all writing about the same person. Yeah. The Bible's right. just Bible fanfic. I, I like this idea of in, in the context of that, like, I think the the abortion debate has gotten so muddied down because it's like a 50 year old debate now. So now it's gotten through so many different like nooks and crannies and, and different evolutions that like people have forgotten what the original fight was for in the first place. And it's just become a hot button issue at this point. And it's that same idea of like, this is the one realm where religion still dominates over science as you know, rightfully science replaces religion in all of these aspects that it makes society better. This is the one place where people are going to continue to stand and fight and right. pound and on the table for. Yeah. No, and, and, and it's like, it's ridiculous that we consider ourselves an advanced society. And yet we still like, this is still a thing that we're talking about, like, especially the type of anti-abortion that the right wing wants, which is full on, Oh, you have an ectopic pregnancy? Sucks for you. Guess you'll die. <laughs> like, the, the, like you, you're legit flat out calling for the murder of people because your like your version of the book you read says that that's what you should do. And I'm sorry, like that's that's not okay in any religion. It doesn't matter what you. Yeah, but this is how like you pivot into like farther right wing ideologies like fascism. It's like mm -hmm. when it stops becoming about the dollar and starts becoming about the ideology and, and the beliefs even over the bottom line of the dollar, which is basically what fiscal conservatism has been over the past 70 years. Yeah, it's, well, it, it, it's funny. Um, George Carlin had that great stand up bit on um, how, you know, like Republicans aren't pro-life. They're, they're, they're pro pre-born. <laughs> once you're born they don't give a fuck about you <laughs> like, but up to that point oh yeah no we we, we got to fight for this you know pre-born baby but the instant you're born is there maternal care no do we have national health care no do we have prenatal plans no <laughs> like is, is is there guaranteed education housing food no <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. We're, we're finally fighting over universal education. We're finally having that conversation after 80 years. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, and, and, and that's the thing that's actually super frustrating is that when, when you go back and look at how, how civilizations do succeed, it's generally because they have a more educated workforce, which allows them to take on greater challenges, which in turn allows them to exert their power more effectively than other civilizations around them. And so it's like, even if you're the most like war hungry, gun humping person imaginable, you should be all for public education because that is what will allow your empire to continue to dominate. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's really contradictory in that way. And like 
the th- I mean, this brings it back to the education debate we were having earlier in a, in a society where it's it's very clear that like having a, a college degree, whether it's a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree is becoming the equivalent of what a high school degree was like 30 years ago. Like it's it's almost a near necessity at this point, like high like education becoming such a large investment means you need to invest more money on the front ends. And this is the same thing in healthcare, which it's the same argument over and over again. Like when you strip away all the nuance and all the details, it's the same argument in both places. But well, yeah. The, the, the one thing I will say though, is I, I think there's too much of an emphasis placed on like a, a college degree or a BA somehow being better than like a trade school, because mm-hmm. like, getting, getting a trade school degree, like you have a very useful skill. Like that is, that is something you you will get paid very well for. And it it sucks that like, that's looked down upon in our society because I sure as hell want my plumber to know what he's doing. Like, I don't, I don't want to not have running water at my house. Like I want my electrician to know what he's doing. Like, I really appreciate that my electrician put in the time to to study current and amperage and voltage because I don't want to learn that. We've we've convinced ourselves as a society, and this is like, again, a, a very capitalistic instinct, but it's the idea that like job that is manual labor is looked mm-hmm. down upon or refrained upon as like this is not real work this is work that right. shouldn't be paid large amounts of money where i'm like it, it makes sense because those are the jobs that you need the most labor in and so it benefits the the people who run the company to have wages mm-hmm. suppressed in that realm but like yeah plumbers should get paid a lot of money but the, the society right. doesn't run without plumbers like <laughs> society doesn't run without people picking crops or making your sandwiches and things like that. Like it, society doesn't run without this. Yes, they should be compensated more, but it goes against the, the capitalistic in- instinct because those are the jobs that are in the highest demand sometimes. Right. It's, well, it's, it's like shut down your supermarkets for three days and tell me what happens. <laughs> like it's, it's going to be pandemonium, <laughs> mm-hmm. but no one really stops and thinks about that. There, and what's hilarious is like, you know, the idea of manual labor being looked down upon, like, I think you're absolutely correct there, but sports is like the epitome of manual labor. Like, <laughs> there's, like yeah, yeah, there's some thinking that goes on in it, but at the end of the day, you're, you are training your body. <laughs> That is literally all you're doing is manual labor. I I do find interesting in the whole debate. Like there was, there was a labor battle in baseball and I felt like the whole debate of like, you are discrediting the amount of work that goes into creating these people's sculpted bodies in order to entertain you because it's it's what people spend money on. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're conflating, like making a lot of money with being like the difference between making a lot of money and being like someone who owns the means of production. Like, Athletes right. are still labor in that way. And I feel like that issue is conflated. Yeah. Oh God, it, it drives me nuts when people take the billionaire side. Cause I'm like, do you not understand? Like if your whole argument is, oh, you make a lot of money. Well, guess what? Those people make a lot more money. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's, that argument has no legs. And yeah, I like athletes get compensated more than your average steel worker. But that's like, that's not saying that both aren't labor. What that means is, yeah, we should probably drop athletes down a little bit and bring the steel workers up. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but that requires increasing taxes and that's a no, no. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't get roads and running water. <laughs> yeah. It, for it. Yeah. I, I, I like framing it that way. I've gotten better at this over like the last year or so. Like I've gotten better at framing things as like when it's, when it's labor fights in sports or talking about like negotiations and contracts, viewing it as management versus labor. Cause like 
when you say billionaires versus millionaires, people are like, they check out because like, oh, I can't, I can't relate to this. But when you say management versus labor, everyone can connect to that because most people are labor. Few people right. are management. It's easier to, to frame it that way. And, and I, I like that I've gotten better at that as a skill as time has gone on and looking at athletes like, yeah, it's not my money. You If, if Tom Brady's going to make $375 million from Fox, it ain't my money. Good on you. You, you are still labor. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like you're, you're still, someone else is still writing the paycheck at the end of the day. Like we, mm-hmm. we don't write our own paychecks. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how that's worked out over the years. Cause like you, when you diminish the athletes and you hate the athletes, but you still give them exorbitant amounts of money to, to make the NFL a $75 billion corporation, then right. you, you know, it, why do you discredit the labor and take the side of the, the people who, again, I, I like the joke that, um, Patrick Mahomes makes $500 million because he's the greatest passer of a football. And Cal McNair makes $2.2 billion because uh, Bob McNair decided to have sex 45 years ago. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Totally earned that one. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's it's weird how that stuff works out. I wish I had gaming knowledge because I'd ask you gaming questions too when we do this. I'm just not a gamer at all. So (laughs) there's there's nothing I can add to that. Yeah, I wish wish I could tap into that expertise too. But either way, I I appreciate you chatting again. I I love having these conversations, even when they derail also. Because you're an athlete, but you're an athlete only by former profession, not necessarily. You have a lot more interesting stuff going on. So I, I appreciate these, uh, these fun conversations that go off the rails sometimes going from, yeah, yeah no, thanks for having me on <laughs> going from people vomiting all the way down to Roe v. Wade and healthcare and, uh, <laughs> and, um, what's it called? What were we just, Oh, higher education, all that stuff. Very fun.